Welcome to Autism Communication Toolkit. We are your host, Sherry Summers. And I'm Alicia McManaman. And we are two pediatric speech language pathologists. We are here to help you cut through the misinformation to help you shift your thinking about what it truly takes to open the door to communication so that you can take charge and become your child's best communication partner and advocate. Today's episode is sponsored by Step by Step Academy, a six-month parent coaching program designed to help parents unlock their autistic toddler's communication. Schedule a free 20-minute consult with us, and you can email us at Sherry and Alicia at connect-speech.com. That's C-H-E-R-I-E-A-N-D-A-L-I-C-I-A at connect-speech.com. Or you can find us at our website, which is www.connect-speech.com. Let's get started. Welcome everyone. We are glad to be back and as always so glad that you took the time to join us today. Today's topic is going to be somewhat different than the other episodes. It will be more informational than inspirational as we discuss the specific differences between our approach and ABA, otherwise known as Applied Behavioral Analysis. And hopefully with this information, you will still feel inspired as you realize how at its most basic level, you are truly igniting your child's social driver, that internal desire to communicate. So we want to say right at the top that we know families personally and families that we have assessed that have been pleased with the ABA services and believe that these services have been instrumental in creating progress with their children. And we are not here to dispute anyone else's personal truth for sure. We are advocates for all parents of autistic communicators who are navigating this journey, and we believe that each family should have the freedom to decide for themselves what approach resonates most with them for their child, and that all kinds of approaches should be equally available and covered by insurance for families. While we have strong opinions on the inequity of service hours medically approved for ABA versus other approaches, we will not go into this today except to say, consider this. With an autism diagnosis, a child automatically, most often, gets a recommendation of 30 to 40 hours a week for ABA, as opposed to no more than two hours a week for speech or language therapy. ABA does cover behavioral concerns and academic concepts in addition to communication, so this is justification of the hours. But this makes absolutely no sense in any world when the primary skills targeted most often by ABA are speech, language, and communication skills, which is really the expertise of a speech language pathologist. So ABA is an evidence-based approach that has been been considered the gold standard approach for autism since the 1960s. And over the years, especially in the last few years with the neurodiversity movement, many have been listening to the voices of autistic adults who have come out against ABA. And as a result of this and other factors, those using ABA will say that in general, the profession is making efforts to make it less punitive, less repetitive, and more play-based. We also want to say that we are giving a simplistic overview of ABA, uh, that every experience really depends on the professional working, right, with the child, and how much they lean in one direction or another. 
So what led to today's episode is a discussion I had with a school psychologist who loves our approach. Um, She listens to our podcast. She loves it. She said that we speak as if we are the opposite of behavioral approaches, but we actually are a behavioral approach too. This took me aback because we don't usually see ourselves this way. Um, But she continued to say, you have a very systematic approach that involves rewarding behavior. So the more we thought about this, the more we realized that this is true in many ways, but with some very specific and critical differences. And the reason we are discussing these differences today is that we know that there are many of you who are embracing our approach while still managing ABA services, either at home, in a clinic, or in school, and we want you to understand the differences. Just as we are dedicated to getting the tools of our approach into your hands so that you can be the one to create your child's progress, we are also dedicated to providing you with the information you need to navigate the journey of services. The more information you have, the better you will feel about the approach you use and about how to advocate for your child in all ways in the future. Yeah, this is a byproduct we love from coaching. Our moms definitely know all the professional lingo from working with us, everything around communication, and they know full well what their child responds to best. Understanding approaches enables them to feel as if they have a seat at the table with professionals without feeling intimidated. Knowledge is power. And in the end, you are the one that knows best for your child. You are the one who should be in the driver's seat. That's something that we really believe. So let's get to it. Uh, We are proud to be a relationship-based naturalistic approach, meaning that intervention is driven by the parent-child relationship and it occurs within natural daily routines. However, the more we have thought about it, the more we realize that, yes, we do have a very systematic approach that rewards communication behaviors. The primary difference, which we discuss often, is that at its core level, or root level, as we should say, using our analogies, is that ABA utilizes external motivation, while our approach is designed to elicit internal motivation. Hopefully, as we go over differences today, it will feel more clear to you. Antecedent behavior, and consequence are terms used in ABA treatment in general and specifically in what's called discrete trial training or DTT. The antecedent leads to the behavior which leads to the consequence. So in discrete trial training, the antecedent is the direction. Most often it's a direction like do this, what's this, or point to show me this. The behavior is the child's expected response, which is often a very specific expected response. So, for example, if the behavior specialist says, do this, and models clapping, the expectation would be imitation of clapping, and then the consequence is the reward that the child has chosen. It might be a snack item, um, a moment with a toy, possibly an iPad video clip, or more recently, um, choices for a game or a song the child enjoys. Then the child gives back the toy and does it again for a certain number of trials. It is all very systematic and the criteria for getting the item is very specific. Then the child is prompted if they don't give the expected response. So for communication, it is often point to blank for receptive language, that's the understanding part. Or what's this with the expectation that they will say or sign it for expressive language, 
or do this as we just talked about for imitation. So let's look at our approach from the antecedent behavior consequence viewpoint. What is our antecedent? It is bringing the fun <laughs> using all of the tools that we recommend, right? Right. So what is the expected behavior? It's any sign of intentional or unintentional communication or tuning into you. Then as soon as they communicate in any way, no matter how subtle, you bring more of that fun. Fun is the antecedent and fun is the consequence in hopes of creating a byproduct of enjoyment. So enjoyment enough that they want to do it again. And we are very systematic with this, as our families will tell you. (laughs) Um, We coach them on the specifics. So we tell them that they must be a clown or a cartoon character of themselves in order to lure their child into tuning into them. So they must look for the behavior, which is their first form of tuning in or their first form of communication that they give. Then we tell them they must respond immediately by bringing more of the fun that their child enjoyed. Lots of fun, but yes, very systematic. We are very particular about it and very behavioral because you are indeed rewarding the behavior. When you think about it, which would work best for you? Which feels the best and makes you want to do it again? What things do we repeat over and over and grow in simply because they feel good? See the difference? One is rewarding the behavior from the outside in. I give you something if you do this specific act. The other is, I see what you like and respond to, and then I give you more of it. This is how an internal desire to communicate is created and nurtured. One approach comes with expectation, while the other is, let's see what comes naturally. Two very different approaches that lead to two very different results most of the time. This is why it's so critical to know the ins and outs of what approach you are using at the most nuanced level. When you think about it, which would work best for you to learn something new? Which feels the best and makes you want to do it again? This is the crux of building internal desire. We want to be clear that many, in fact, most speech language pathologists are using behavioral approaches that don't feel good to anyone. It's not just ABA. So one of our moms recently had an assessment and she told us how excruciating it was to watch professionals ignore all of her child's natural communication as they held out on giving her something unless she said it or signed for it. The professionals then told our mom and her husband that they are going to have to prepare themselves to, quote, be a little mean to get their daughter to communicate. Yeah, they told her that the only way to get their daughter to talk is to withhold items from her until she does, prompt her for them, or offer external rewards. And sadly, this is far from the first time Alicia and I have been told this by parents. In fact, I have parents that do truly believe that they must be a little mean to their child to talk. But we know with absolute certainty that it doesn't have to be this way. And we see the most beautiful results of the opposite of this day after day in coaching with our family. Yes. So for those of you who our approach resonates with, doesn't it just make sense that for communication to grow and grow into more, the child must first of all tune into you naturally, then realize the power of the communication they give naturally, and then have it feel so good that they want to do it more. 
So we hope that this information solidifies your belief in our approach and reconfirms why you are so dedicated to creating your child's internal desire to communicate with you. And if you are still navigating ABA services as you use our approach, we can give you some examples now of how our families have navigated this. Yeah, many of our families end up giving up ABA after they've worked with us for a short time because the approaches are so polar opposite. However, there are a few things to consider and some reasons that families keep it. If your child struggles with transitions or routines, ABA is designed to help you manage this. And it's also designed to work on cognitive skills and um, working within routines. And as you figure all of this out, Another reminder that you are the expert in your child and no one knows them like you do. We always encourage our families to do their best to collaborate with any professionals they are working with by letting them know their priorities respectfully. Yeah, many of our families have found middle ground with professionals, both at school and at home. So some families reduce the hours of ABA to a very short time to work on specific areas only. Yeah, some families just let their professionals know that they want them working in specific areas and not communication. Uh, We've also had moms explain to RBTs that they want the activities to be songs and social games. Um, And some have found professionals who are willing and actually find that it feels better for them to do that. Yeah, yeah. And often when a mom models a song and shows the professional how responsive their child is, it leads a professional to want to try it because they see that it's working. So, over, But overall, in the end, all of this really is up to you. You are exactly who your child needs, so trust yourself. You definitely got this. If you have any questions on this topic or any of our episodes, please do not hesitate to reach out to us by email or DSM, DM us on Instagram or Facebook. We'd love to answer questions and share what we can to help. Also, if you're interested in finding out more about our coaching program, email us to schedule a free consultation with us by Zoom. As always, remember that true progress comes from the connection and communication opportunities that you create with one tiny interaction at a time. And there's no one better than you to do it. Have a great week, everyone. If you liked this podcast episode, make sure to subscribe, like, and follow. Too few families have this information and it's important for them to hear it as early as possible. And to help us spread the word, please leave us a review and share on Instagram and tag us at our handle at ConnectSpeech when you do. Or check us out on our website at www.connect-speech.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.